I'm Stephen Hundley from IUPUI, and this is Leading Improvements in Higher Education, a service of the Assessment Institute in Indianapolis. Our sponsor for this season is Watermark. This episode features two leaders from NILOA, the National Institute for Learning Outcomes Assessment, Natasha Jankowski and Gianina Baker. Natasha is NILOA's Executive Director and is a Research Associate Professor with the Department of Education Policy, Organization, and Leadership at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Giannina is NILOA's Assistant Director. NILOA is a long-standing signature partner of the Assessment Institute, and I hope you will enjoy our time with Natasha and Giannina during this episode of Leading Improvements in Higher Education. We have Natasha and Giannina with us today from NILOA. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. I am delighted you're both with us, and we'll uh, get started, Natasha, with the first question to you about NILOA. Uh, What is its mission? Who is its audience? And if you could comment on your pathway to getting to serve as executive director of NILOA. Of course. So NILOA, for those not familiar, stands for the National Institute for Learning Outcomes Assessment. Um, and we originally started in 2008. We were created by George Koo and Stanley Eikenberry, who came together with this desire to really have a national picture of assessment activity and create, an, uh, an, uh, I guess in other words, the ultimate sort of go-to website on all things assessment. Um, it was very important to them that it be open access And so our work is really free, open, publicly available. We are not a membership organization, but we see ourselves as a research and resource development organization that is dedicated to really capturing, documenting, advocating for, and helping institutions and um, other partners really engage in use of learning outcomes assessment to improve their student learning. So we work with institutions and practitioners. Um, Our audiences are very wide in terms of not just assessment professionals, but faculty and administrators, student affairs have resources here. Uh, We also have some targeted resources for policymakers and employers and even students. So really try to think broadly about all the stakeholders that are involved um, in in assessment are some of the things that you can find from NALOA. And our website is learningoutcomesassessment.org. So you can find probably more resources than you need on assessment at the website. Um, But I've had the pleasure to be involved with NALOA since the very beginning. Um, So when NALOA was first created, I actually started there as a graduate student completing my doctoral work and um, never left, just progressed through uh, and and kept uh, that institutional knowledge and and that work in that regards um, and have have absolutely loved it and really seeing it go from being a website and trying to be a repository of information to really leading assessment conversations in this space. Natasha, thanks. And again, that website, learningoutcomesassessment.org. Janina, your pathway to your role, and what are some of your areas of responsibility at NILOA? 
I, it's it's funny you ask that because I get this question a lot, um, especially as I describe my journey. Um, I'm actually, I graduated with a bachelor's in psychology and moved right along to um, becoming a counselor. Um, I went and got my, my degree in human development and counseling. And so I was looking for a job that I didn't have to do the counseling full time, but that I could do some of it and, and maybe something else and actually found a job at a community college um, where I got to do some personal counseling and then some academic advising. And as I got more into the work um, and, and worked with our college president, I wanted to see where this could lead. Um, and so we ended up um, as a family moving to Champaign where um, they had a PhD program in educational organization and leadership. Um, at the time, I really thought about wanting to become a community college president. And so as I progressed through coursework and in one particular class uh, that I had with Dr. Lorenzo Baber at the time, he at, he made us interview some higher ed administrators. And I asked a few community college presidents, you know, what's the one topic that you uh, that, that's prevalent right now that you want to know more about? And both of them had said outcomes assessment. And I knew zero about that at the time. And so luckily, Niloa had just formed. And I went to talk to Dr. Eikenberry and asked them, you know, is, is there something that I could do to learn about it? I don't need to know a lot. I just need to know just a little bit to help um, in my presidency path. And so I ended up um, taking a position as a grad student, much like Natasha at the time. And so through that work, I, I thought I had learned just enough to make me dangerous. And so I went back out and pursued my um, career and, and worked as a director of institutional research and institutional effectiveness and planning. And the one thing that stuck with me the entire time, the, the, the one um, piece of work, and I had a portfolio of grants and strategic planning and accreditation um, assessment was the most familiar for me. And so when the assistant director job popped up, I found myself here. I definitely um, appreciate it. And I think that the, it, it corresponds well with um, some of the work that I've been wanting to do. Certainly, you know, uh, not just a little, but now a lot about outcomes assessment because of your pathway in Niloa. Way too much. Natasha, we'll come to you for the next question. Among uh, other resources, Niloa is known for its transparency framework. What does this entail and how do institutions employ the transparency framework in telling their story using evidence? Thank you for the question, Stephen. So the transparency framework was actually part of a, a larger project that we had in trying to unpack and discover where were institutions putting information about student learning outcomes assessment on their website? What was publicly available? Where was it housed? Was it under a provost page? Was it part of institutional research? Um, were there the lucky few that had some tidbits of data coming off of the admissions page? But really trying to understand in the space of assessment, where do we make that information public and um, who gets to curate it and who has access to or is able to find it, thinking about our different audience types. So we set out as a research team and we looked at over 2,000 institutional websites, which I, I joke that um, I would never wish upon anyone, but it, it does give me the pleasure of saying that um, in the Naloa office, I will never ask our team to do something that I myself have not spent hours <laughs> doing along the way. But it was incredibly useful to look at 
um, so many institutional websites. And, and from that process, we, we came up with um, a continuum for lack of a better word, of thinking about where institutions fell on trying to coherently and meaningfully present information about assessment in an online format. And from that, we came up with the transparency framework. And it was easy to model it along the sides of um, thinking about the assessment cycle and process. So starting with where are learning outcome statements and where are those types of things to even resources to support doing the work to use and evidence of the, uh, the information and what did you actually find from the process of assessment. And so the transparency framework became a a mechanism by which institutions could think about how to present and organize the information that they had, because it was a bit all over the place. So it's an ideal really thinking out there of if we want to be as transparent in an online format as possible, what do we need to think about? How do we need to think about even updating that information and really making it accessible to different audiences in meaningful ways? Surprisingly, we have seen um, institutions really engage with the framework in ways that we didn't quite intend. So we meant it as a mechanism originally by which you could take a look at your current website and think about where do you fall? Where do you want to focus? Are you, are you okay with what is there? Um, but what we found was that institutions used it as a framework to present the information on their assessment page. So on the website under our work, you can find a link to um, information on the transparency framework itself with institutional examples, but also a section on framework in the field, which provides different examples of institutions who have used the framework as their organization organizing mechanism by which to present information on assessment. And we've even seen some institutions who have taken it down to where each of their departments and colleges use it so that as we have inter-institutional learning from our colleagues and other departments that are doing things, they knew how to find the information because it was in the same format and same presentation approach. So it's been very exciting to think about one of the hard parts of assessment, which is it's easy to collect a lot of data. But how do we put it together in meaningful ways to share it with others, to showcase what we've been doing, to answer those calls for accountability, but also provide folks within our institutions information on how to improve and and even the activities that are going on. So while it started as just an incredibly long (laughs) website scanning process, um, I'm very excited where the, the framework has been and in each of our iterations to review it and see if we need to update it. It has held um, its, its relevance and, and focus this whole time. Great, thanks. Janina, let's come to you. What are some of the projects in your portfolio of responsibility? There are so many, Stephen. As assistant director, uh, one of the jobs that I see myself in is assisting Natasha where and when she needs me. So we have found um, through the, the time um, of our work that there's about five areas that we see um, that we definitely can contribute to the conversation and the first one is that of assignments. We've done quite a variety of um, work around in that area, as well as some is publishing some some scholarly pieces around it. Uh, thinking a little bit about our assignment library, um, conducting assignment charrettes with faculty and staff across the country, and even um, expanding that now to include um, both student affairs as well as um, 
student employment and others expanding that work and featuring some assignments. So assignments is definitely one of those first types what we call kind of buckets. Another area that we um, are definitely seeing and feeling some responsibility to advance is the work of equity and assessment. And you can find um, on our website, and we just released some case studies uh, in conjunction with CAS, the Council for, for the Advancement of Standards, as well as um, Campus Labs. Um, there will be seven in total, but that I'll talk a little bit more about later. We also have some equity responses that we've gathered across um, the, the country, as well as the HBCUC work, which as um, uh, was noted that both uh, Dr. Verna Orr and Dr. Mark House were featured on a, on a podcast. So tune into that one if you want to learn more. A third bucket that we see is transparency. Um, we've been quite no- noted for our transparency framework and the work that's involved there, as well as the excellence in assessment, um, which I'll talk a little bit more about later as well as our evidence-based storytelling um, that is always forthcoming and we're trying to populate with examples there, as well as our featured websites. A fourth area would be mapping learning, where we really try to delve into curriculum mapping and providing uh, both institutions and those working in the assessment space uh, to think about how they might do these maps uh, while in person and even in the midst of COVID. So definitely would... um, suggest looking at some of those materials. And a fifth area is learning frameworks. We've talked with so many institutions, whether it be through the Comprehensive Learning Record Project or um, just others trying to think about what a learning framework can do and can mean and what that means um, also in conjunction with learning outcomes. And so the work that's developed from that includes our Learning Recognition Collaborative, as well as um, some prior work on the degree qualifications profile, which is housed on our site. So five areas. And if you want to know more about these areas and just some of the resources that are there, we invite you to look at our website and go to the the section that's titled Our Work. Assignments, equity and assessment, transparency, mapping learning, and learning frameworks. Certainly a broad portfolio of responsibility at the NILOA website. Janina, uh, we were talking about excellence in assessment and the transparency framework, and we recognize that NILOA is one of the sponsors of the Excellence in Assessment designation, or EIA, as it's referred to. What is EIA, and how are institutions recognized with this honor? I will first start by saying thank you to you and the Assessment Institute crew for allowing the mentoring to happen um, for those institutions that are interested in applying for the EIA for excellence in assessment designation. So we always appreciate trying to figure out ways to assist institutions in showcasing their really good assessment work. Um, The EIA specifically was uh, first started and the first class was designated in 2016. And it's a joint collaboration, collaboration between us and the AACNU, the Association of American Colleges and Universities, as well as APLU, the Association of Public Land Grant Universities. And we have embarked on this journey to think just a little bit about, you know, what really good assessment work looks like. And that is taken, it helps institutions in that um, there's an application and a rubric that are already laid out. So you can see what that standard of excellence, what we're looking for is, but then allows you to, to think about where your institution is in that. Uh, the designation itself is the first national initiative of its kind and recognizes institutions that successively 
successfully integrate assessment practices throughout the institution, provide evidence of student learning outcomes, and use assessment results to guide institutional decision-making and improve student performance. The AIA designation's focus is on processes and use of assessment data rather than on student performance or accomplishment. We love to honor our designees, and we had 12 this past year with three earning uh, sustained excellence. And we usually are able to do that with the reception at AACNU's annual meeting. However, this year will be a bit different. We're trying to think about how a virtual reception um, will look and as you're trying to make some plans for that. But we definitely are appreciative of the different examples that are provided and think about how, inst- how assessment looks different at each institution. And I do want to note that uh, we, the, the EIA designation itself is endorsed by the Council of Independent Colleges and always looking for more to endorse. That's the Excellence in Assessment designation, EIA. And I should also point out, we're very fortunate that uh, the January-February issue of Assessment Update annually since EIA began profiles select recipients of the EIA designation where uh, listeners can learn more about exemplary practices from those recent applications. Giannina, let me ask you a brief follow-up question. Uh, There are two types of designations in EIA. Uh, Comment on the difference between the two. I'd be happy to. So designees are awarded in one of two tiers. So we do have some who are awarded the excellence designation, and that is for those institutions demonstrating strong leadership and commitment to building or even rebuilding a culture of integrated assessment practices. And our second designation is that of sustained excellence. And that is for those institutions who have sustained or evolved their integrated institution level assessment practice for over a period of at least five years. So institutions are awarded one um, or the other. And if you want more information and you want, or you want to rehear that, uh, we invite you to go to our, our work page on our website, go to transparency and look at excellence in assessment and you can find both the application and the rubric and the checklist. Natasha, another beneficial resource that you offer at NILOA is the assignment library, which features exemplary assignments from a variety of disciplines. Uh, Giannina was mentioning this uh, as one of the key parts of the NILOA portfolio of responsibilities. How are assignments developed and curated, and why is a focus on assignments so important to our work? Yes, thank you, Stephen. Excellent question. And I have to give a shout out to Janina because um, while she has been involved in so many projects and talks about how she sort of found her way back to Naloa, we had been trying to get her to come back to work with us on all these different bodies of work since she left. So we are overjoyed to have her and in all of the different buckets that, that she's involved. The assignment work that we engage in is really to elevate the importance of the work that faculty do every day in their courses. And 
how difficult it is to really do meaningful assignment design. And we wanted to elevate up and respect and recognize faculty for that work. So what we started was a process of assignment review and design, which we refer to as assignment charrettes, which is a term taken from architecture education, which is about bringing people together for a intensive, collaborative um, peer learning process where we lead faculty through a peer review, a very rigorous peer review process whereby faculty come with an assignment that's just not quite getting what they want to have happen done. And so coming with a willingness to engage in cross-disciplinary dialogue and to rethink how well aligned our assignments are with the learning outcomes that we have stated for that class and that we want to see for our students. And then also, how is that assignment aligned with the evaluative criteria in terms of how we're judging that student's work? And at any point, is there a misalignment or are we sending mixed signals and is our prompt uh, assignment prompt not particularly clear and really thinking about looking at the assignment through the eyes of our students and engage in that process. So through a um, carousel peer review timed process, uh, faculty engage in the charrette, they then take that feedback that they get from each of the members that are part of their review team back to their institution, revise the assignment, we ask the faculty that have participated in those charrettes to then implement the revised assignment in their course and gather feedback from students as part of that process. So you've gotten feedback from your colleagues as part of the carousel style of the charrette, but then does it do what we thought it would with the revisions? So apply it, definitely get some think throughs on this part of the students to see, did you understand what I'm asking you to do? Do you see how it connects to these learning outcomes? Are there places of disconnect and confusion? And then take that information and revise it one last time before submitting it to be included in the library. Now the assignment library, while it houses a variety of assignments, is not intended to be a place where you come as a faculty member and just grab and go with an assignment and implement it in your course. Instead, it really serves to be a repository of well-aligned peer-reviewed assignments with the thinking of the faculty member behind it. So in each of our assignments, there's an introductory page to them that talks about the type of course, when this assignment is, what students have had problems with in the past, how it's connected to learning outcome, um, thoughts on the part of the faculty, and really unpacks that reflection and design process that the faculty have gone through. We also have space on the assignment library to comment on, on the assignments and share into that, but also download them. And the last feature that was really important for us in elevating the scholarly nature of assignment design was every assignment that's in the library has an APA citation that we then also give to the faculty member along with a letter that they can put in their tenure or promotion and tenure review portfolio that indicates that they have gone through this very rigorous peer review process um, to end up with an assignment in the library. So if, even if you've gotten partway through, it's not in the library, but it's still a great professional development opportunity. So the, the focus on assignments is so important because that is the day-to-day -day interactions that we have with making assessment meaningful for our faculty that do it, but also for our students who are participants in that process. And thinking about ensuring that as we build systems that roll up from our course level, that we can look across our program and have trust in that data means we really need to be ensuring that our assignments do what they're intended and that they're aligned in meaningful ways 
or if what our assignment is, is what we want students to do, but that's not what our learning outcomes say, rethinking the learning outcomes to be in alignment with the actions that we want to see unfold within our classes and our assignments. Um, it has been an incredible uh, body of work to engage in. And um, throughout the course of this project around different assignment design processes, we were able to work with over 700 faculty to move through this uh, and to get into really rethinking about embedding assessment into something of value and interest to faculty in a place where the data from it is most likely to be used in a way that also directly impacts students. So, absolutely love all of the the assignment work and if you haven't taken a look at the assignment library you can find it on our website as well and i should caution listeners uh the assignments may look a bit intimidating when you go there just from an instructional design standpoint but they really have benefited from the assignment charrette the peer review process and feedback and improvements made by a faculty from feedback from students and others again that's learningoutcomesassessment.org learningoutcomesassessment.org, where you can find the assignment library. Gianina, Niloa has been at the forefront of leading dialogue and action around equity in assessment. What are some of the strategies institutions are employing to address issues of equity in the student experience on campus? I think this is an excellent question, Stephen, and glad that you ask that. Um, I first want to continue the love fest because the world needs more love and just shout out Natasha for a moment because um, you have to have a director who not only is okay with the work happening but believes in it and the work that we are doing around equity assessment is something that she definitely not only supports but also believes and that is um, a testament to why I came back and why I wanted to work um, with her. I consider her much, much a thought leader in this field of assessment and always thinking about the what's next and how best we help our students. As we just think about what's happening on our campuses, we recognize that there are many practices that occur within institutions of higher ed that address issues of equity in relation to assessment. But what we find that is lacking is the awareness of these various practices, their effectiveness, process elements, and the impact that equitable assessment efforts actually have on diverse student populations and their learning. So with that, uh, both Eric Montenegro and Natasha Jankowski um, wrote and launched the first occasional paper on this topic, um, specific to NILOA in 2017. And they really wanted to just think about and begin this conversation on the relationship between equity and assessment, um, exploring the question, how consequential can assessment be to learning when assessment approaches may not be inclusive of diverse learners? And then we could be the whole podcast could just be on that in itself. Um, and then they from that conversation and the equity responses that we gathered and those topics varied from pedagogy, inclusion and disaggregation to student affairs and engagement, social justice, uh, culturally responsive assessment as good assessment, even brought in some international perspectives. And one of my most favorite is the, the most current one that we have on using crippling theory to examine disability as identity and culture pulling all of those different conversations together, they then um, pulled their next paper together titled A New Decade for Assessment, Embedding Equity into Assessment Praxis. 
and definitely built on um, the questions that were asked, insights that were gathered, and thought about future directions. So I would definitely invite you if you've yet to read either of those papers to start there. Uh, look at the equity responses that we've gathered from over uh, 15 faculty, staff, and administrators um, that have been trying to help us unpack this relationship between equity and assessment. And then uh, even look at our case studies. Again, there will be a total of seven on our site um, when we are finished, uh, there are four right now, that explore different institutional types and serve different student populations. Again, we were working with CAS and Campus Labs to help highlight some of these examples, which we hope other institutions can learn from and even continue to, to dialogue on equitable assessment and what that looks like. So you'll find topics such as ripple effect mapping or equity within general education or even within a primarily online environment. Um, and there's even one case that looks at using critical race theory to examine, examine campus climate. So so much is happening in this space. We just haven't um, documented much like we talk about student learning. And so that's where we find ourselves in this and want to continue to push this conversation again to help our students. The COVID-19 pandemic has certainly impacted how institutions are engaging in their work related to teaching, learning, and assessment. Natasha, what are you hearing from campuses with whom NILOA works concerning their responsiveness to COVID-19? Yes, Stephen. Oh, COVID-19. 2020, everyone. Um, we recently released a report on what a survey that was sent out to institutions to examine what assessment-related changes unfolded in the spring 2020 semester in the quick turn to remote instruction. And so I, I would say if you aren't familiar with our publications, definitely go to the website, to the publications tab and go to reports and you can find the most recent COVID-19 report there and any past survey reports that we've done nationally. But what we heard a lot from institutions in the report, but also just as institutions were reaching out and contacting us on their assessment practice, was concern about meeting accreditation demands that assessment was going on, we're, but we're unsure if we're actually getting good data about our students' learning and can students even learn while all of the different situational factors and variables are unfolding in terms of um, home environments and online technology and each of those different elements that can make it incredibly difficult to, to meaningfully engage. But they also were talking about how do we ensure that our assessment process continues in a meaningful way to feed information to our faculty, to our students, to help them plan for a very uncertain future as decisions are being made about what to do in the summer and still now, how should we handle the fall and what does learning look like and what kinds of assessments can we ask our students to participate in that are low bandwidth, uh, but that will give good data on students and their learning. So we were hearing a lot on concerns about accreditation, but also concerns about assessment as a whole. And what we we're pleased to report, and we did also in that survey report, we looked across all the other myriad of reports that have been coming out in the same time period that had slightly different perspectives on um, institutional responses to COVID. 
was that assessment was more important, if not the same amount of importance, as it was before, because it provided the mechanism by which faculty could make changes to the courses to really hone in on what mattered. What do I really need you to take away from this course and um, engage in it in that way? So faculty's relationship with their students and with assessment pivoted much the way that the remote instruction engaged in as well. Now, does that mean that the reporting processes were rolling at the same steam? Potentially, no. We did hear that a lot of the annual reports for assessment got bumped back a bit to buy people time, but that the process of looking at, are our students learning what we want them to learn? That was unfolding. And the importance of that information in figuring out who our students are, what do they need, are we being effective, which students are we missing, and really thinking about the, the, the mass inequities that were exposed, that had been there underlying, but just fully exposed in, in COVID, what is the role of assessment in supporting and addressing uh, those inequities, and how can we think about being flexible and seeing our students as a whole person and partnering with student affairs very differently. So from that survey report, we did release um, some do's and don'ts, which is a bit outside of our Naloas way of operating. We're much more providing institutions with reflective questions and a myriad of examples from which they can see themselves and find their practice to move forward. But we really wanted to make sure that as campuses were engaging in responding to COVID-19 and thinking about assessment, that we were not doing harm to students are learning their learning, or our faculty and our staff, um, that, that we were not trying to implement things as though we were not in a pandemic, but that we were really going back to basics about what is the core learning that I want to see, and what are the different ways that I can assess it, and how can I position my students to be a partner in solving that problem and offering solutions on how they can show me their learning, which is beautiful for metacognitive and self-agency and all sorts of um, pieces within it. So when I think about what I want to see um, come from this work is that connection point between assessment and educational design as more intricately woven than a measurement compliance exercise. Because while there were concerns about accreditation, it was not the driver for the work. And it was not the reason by which people were looking at the data on learning. And ensuring that we sort of stay in that spot of looking at our data for ourselves and to better understand our effectiveness um, will position us well, I think, for, for the uncertain time period that we have with our students and ourselves ahead. Natasha, let me pick up a brief follow-up here and ask, what do you see are some of the changes that are, quote, sticking as a result of some pandemic-related adaptations? You mentioned a return to the basics of clarifying the learning outcomes and really uh, unmasking the inequities that have been brought to bear as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. What, what are some things that you see sticking or what do you hope will stick as a result of some of the adaptations faculty and staff have made? Yeah, so I think the number one that we are seeing stick is that focus on flexibility. And that takes a variety of forms. Some of that is flexibility in when an assessment or an assignment is due. So thinking about um, mindfulness on deadlines, but it's also flexibility in what counts as evidence of learning and providing students flexibility in alternative assignments and assessments, and even the ability to put forward 
an option of what I can do as a student to meet a learning outcome. So really engaging with the learning outcomes very differently between faculty and student partners and not having it um, mentioned on the first day on a syllabus and then moved on, but being a reoccurring theme throughout the course that serves as a North Star for everyone involved. With that flexibility and sort of saying, if this is the learning outcome, how can you show me that you've met it at this juncture between, um, which is a slightly different relationship between faculty and students, the importance of transparency cannot be understated. So we're also seeing, and I think the, the stickiness continues on clarity in design, clarity on what I want you to do, why I want you to do it, and how it connects to other courses or where you will use it later, and how this builds over time. So being very clear and transparent to our students about the role of an assignment or an assessment, how it connects to a learning outcome, and how that's part of some a larger degree path within that program. Um, that clarity is something that we have talked about as good pedagogy for years, but has not really uh, gotten to that place of stickiness. However, in an environment where we have to be flexible and things can change quickly, transparency is, is the currency because I need everyone to know where we are and what we're doing so that we can all pivot at the same time together. So I think the flexibility and the transparency for sure um, are, are part of that. The last one that we're we're seeing entering the conversation and I really hope continues. It's one that I would like to see is an awareness of thinking about trauma informed and healing centered assessment that our students and our faculty, but our students especially have been through so much. And this has been an incredibly trying and difficult time. And what is the role of assessment in providing a space that ends with an artifact, but the process of which completing that artifact allows me as a student to reflect on that experience, to address it, to deal with it, um, to move forward in some of the spaces to, to heal and, and address that trauma and make sense of it. So really thinking about whole person assessment, for lack of a better phrase, uh, that our students are not just here to be students, but they are people who are experiencing a very challenging time. And how can we align our assessment to be meaningful with that so it can serve not just the purpose of um, meeting our, our information we need for our annual mechanisms or our program, but to really allow students that space to self-reflect and learn about themselves as, as people, but also as learners. Giannina, Niloa produces several occasional papers, and you referenced one earlier in your remarks, and you also produce viewpoints. Uh, both of these are produced on a, on a periodic basis. What are some of the themes of these recent publications? Thank you, Stephen. We have come to realize that <laughs> while we like to do uh, the research around assessment of student learning and while we like to document um, that and document the work that others are doing, we realize that we ourselves are almost a publication arm um, much like some of the the other organizations that are out there. And so as we pull together um, in, in our re website redesign, we st really started to, I think, come to, the, to just the realization that we definitely have produced um, and collaborated with many experts in the field, such great reports. I say all the time that in many ways, uh, some of these reports, while we try to make them just in time for institutions that are trying to figure out what, what their next steps are, oftentimes we're a little bit ahead 
of the field because people have just been so good in in thinking about what the field um, needs next. So if you hopefully will go to our website, you'll see under publications, um, a, a number of reports, occasional papers, assessment and practices, viewpoints, case studies, and books, um, as well as presentations that Naloa has done um, throughout the years. And we try to definitely highlight those um, that are not only most pertinent to, to the work that's being done right now, but also those, those seminal integral pieces, seminal pieces that are, um, we continually refer to often. So in our occasional papers, um, we most recently actually um, produced one on documenting learning where we look at our role within the comprehensive learner record where we focus a lot on learning frameworks um, as we worked with ACRO and NASPA and many of the colleges that were working on a comprehensive learning record. We were trying to figure out, um, help them figure out where assessment sat and how to push um, a bit on that because a lot of this work was around recognizing and validating learning, something that assessment professionals are are experts of um, and want to assist their colleagues with. I think if you then look at some of our um, history or some of our future directions, you'll find some foundational readings on assessment. Um, one that we often refer to, I think, in almost every single presentation is one that our very first occasional paper written by Peter Yule on assessment, accountability, and improvement that revisits the tension between the, the, the different areas. And I think it will always, always be a great piece. Um, we definitely want to ensure that we address uh, some of the emerging trends. And again, you'll find uh, some of the, the materials around um, thinking about the comprehensive learner record, um, how you might look at competency-based approaches to degree completion and learning, um, and even thinking about e-portfolios to document and deepen the impact of high-impact practices on learning dispositions. And again, you'll find um, an, another piece underneath our history and future directions includes all of the equity work that we I, I referred to earlier. We also wanted to make sure that we address the roles in assessment work. So we have a space for faculty and assessment where we hope to, we, we, we gathered experts to think about topics such as academic freedom and pedagogy and even non-tenure track faculty and how to involve them in that space. And then we didn't want to forget about our partners in assessment and, and even their roles. So you'll find some occasional papers that address assessment professionals, student affairs, support services, librarians, um, and we hope to definitely grow that space. And then lastly, you'll see our tools and resources. Um, there are three in particular that we have focused in on. And the first one includes measures and approaches to assessing student learning. Uh, we also talk about technology and assessment and really thinking about how to help you choose technology software to support um, what you're doing, not to be that end all be all. And then um, hopefully to help you use the technology to be more transparent about learning. And then lastly, in that space is our cost and resource allocation. One thing that we continue to kind of go back to and think about, you know, what is our overall cost of assessment um, at, at our institutions? And so those are our occasional papers. We're always trying to think about, you know, what, again, the field needs and how we can support that work and how we can help others bring pieces of research together to develop something like an occasional paper. And then for our viewpoints, uh, we 
uh, gather them from a variety of sources. It may be about um, an upcoming book or it could be just this, you know, what if um, kind of conversation. They're supposed to be thought-provoking pieces that we hope move our field. Um, they might involve talking about practices or initiatives or questions that can inform, hopefully, assessment for improvement. So if you take a look at um, that that particular page under publications, you can find information or find guest authored pieces around the value and worth of higher education, principles of good practice, use of evidence, um, the state of the field um, is also there. And then we also break it down by level. So perhaps you want to think more about program level assessment or institutional level assessment or you know what really are learning frameworks and what learning frameworks are out there. We definitely have some viewpoints that think about implementation of assessment at various levels um, without, within higher education. And then our tools and resources section. Again, here we talk about different measures of student learning. Um, we have different examples of rubrics that were used. We even have some lessons learned about how to use rubrics. Um, there's some authored pieces on transparency and technology, even thinking about uh, institutional research and IRBs. And then some assessment-related books. Again, if you if there's an upcoming book related to assessment, often we'll have authors write a, a viewpoint to, to, to talk a little bit about what that book is in relation to assessment. And then we go through stakeholder roles. So much like our occasional papers, we definitely have to, um, again, engage that partnership with faculty. And so ways to do some of that involve faculty, um, some pieces there would assist with that. Um, students in assessment, definitely a, a key topic as we move forward. Uh, thinking about student affairs and just overall working in partnership. That is a huge piece. And for us to really get the collective impact that we're striving for, partnerships and role differentiation are very, very, very much crucial. Uh, another section here um, in our viewpoints includes equity and diversity. So if you're interested in thinking about what are some of those thought-provoking pieces around that? We invite you to look at the viewpoints here. And also, we included some viewpoints on intercultural competence, a topic that is definitely researched. And then last but not least, we want to think and remember those pioneers who have impacted the landscape of assessment. And so we have offered um, others to come and write and remember, celebrate, reflect on their careers and lessons um, from colleagues who, might, who have passed. Um, but as we say, their legacies continue to teach and inspire us all. I hope our listeners are getting the full appreciation for how robust and, and truly comprehensive Niloa's website is. And we invite you to visit learningoutcomesassessment.org to take advantage of all of these resources. Uh, Giannina, let me ask you briefly as a follow-up, what are the um, costs to access these resources for listeners who visit your website? That is a great question. We get this all the time. They are absolutely free. Uh, that is something that from the very beginning of NOAA's founding has always been primary to its mission is to make sure that anyone who wants to access them can access them, whether that be for just your own reading or for your class or for a presentation. So we invite you to peruse through our website and use them freely.
As we draw our time together to a close, I have a couple of concluding questions for both of you. Giannina, we'll come to you first for this one and then follow uh, follow up with Natasha. Uh, I want you to both look ahead in the next few years. Uh, what do you see are some major trends shaping the broader higher education community? And then how is Niloa prepared to address those trends? Giannina. I think that Natasha definitely started to have this conversation as she mentioned the COVID, the report that she had did responding to the COVID-19 pandemic in relation to what's happening on our college campuses. I mean, I think higher ed as we know it will look absolutely different from um, what it did before the pandemic. And so as we think about our our uh, Niloa's positioning in relation to help assessment professionals and faculty and staff on campus actually do some of this work. We definitely know that the work will be changing and we stand ready to assist as we try to gather feedback to see what their needs are um, and how we can help them in that work. I think that uh, I'll, I'll just say that and, and hopefully Natasha will add on a few other pieces, but I'll just think the more that I listen to the conversations um, and the presentations and the webinars, I just think that we're going back to our basics. We are thinking about what, um, you know, the, those people and the, the work that they do. I'm thinking of Peter Ewell and Pat Hutchings and George Koo and Tom Angelo and Trudy Banta and um, all, all these amazing people who've done this work and have published on this. We're going back to the things that they've said um, and thought about. And while there are definitely some areas that we're pushing on an equity and assessment and a few others, we're definitely realizing that for us, no matter uh, in the middle of the pandemic or not, that we have to draw back onto those and um, ensure that our students are getting what they need um, from education. And a, a key way to do that is, is to assess student learning. Natasha, your thoughts on future trends and Niloa's responsiveness to those trends. Thank you. I would just add to what Janina already shared that um, equity will continue to, it's becoming an increasing cornerstone of assessment conversations. And I think that will continue as we look to the future of higher education in all the spaces, not just within assessment. And also the the transparency and a focus on evidence-based storytelling of, or the the nuts and bolts of how do we communicate effectively to different audiences about what we're doing and why. And that may have been, why did we make the decisions that we did at the time to, to change things in response to COVID? But it can also be, why do we approach assessment in the way that we do? And what do we choose to do with this data? And what do we choose not to do? And so getting very clear on how can we effectively communicate to the variety of stakeholders that have questions and concerns and um and a right to have access to information about our institutions and their learning is definitely a place where higher education, uh, I think, will spend some time and, and hopefully get a bit better at in that space. The only two that I would add that are assessment specific are really thinking about the involvement of students in assessment. And we're, we're wrapping up an edited volume on this topic um, that should be coming out next year on really thinking about how do we position 
and rethink assessment where it's not something we're doing to our students, but something that they're an active participant in, which reinforces equity and transparency and all of those sorts of other pieces. But the relationship of students in assessment and what that means, I think, is a place where we're going to have to figure it out as a higher education community. And then who are we as assessment professionals would be my last one, really thinking about what are the competencies we need to be successful? What is our position um, and our roles? What do we want for ourselves as a field? And how do we want to think about where we want to go as a discipline, a scholarship, and a profession around assessment? We have a heavily practice-based literature, which is good, but we also need to think about who we are as a discipline and a scholarship and getting into some of those conversations, I think um, at a time of flux is, is a, is a great place to be in terms of how Naloa is positioning itself to address some of those trends. I, I, I don't know if we just picked the ones that are on our minds. So that's the ones we're positioning ourselves to address already, but it's been sort of, we have prided ourselves on always being responsive and listening to the field and then trying to have that quick publication arm to turn something around to answer a question that people have had. And as we have that positionality in view to hear nationally the things that are going on, I think the way in which we have been trying to provide case studies to partner differently with different types of organizations, such as HBCU CEQA, um, creating designations such as the EIA to elevate up the different types of work that count as excellent assessment and the ability to sustain that work over time um, and beyond leadership turnover and and all of those things. And as well as working with assessment related organizations to start to say, what, what is our professional situation? What is our professional situation? Who are we as a group and, and what do we want to do and engage with in that space? So I think we are having those conversations. Um, we are doing it in partnership and, and with the field, which is how we, we normally go about most of our work. And um, I think being a listening ear and being ready and inviting people into dialogue, inviting people to share ideas, publications, um, share a case, all of those things are, are helping us to address what we're hearing and um, get people into dialogue and conversation about where, where we want to go as a higher education community. Natasha, I'll come to you for our final question. What is a brief final thought you would like to leave with our listeners today? Sure. So a brief final thought is while assessment can be a very lonely process, most of our assessment folks are one person in an institution. There are so many resources that are available and assessment folks are really part of a much larger community that loves to share examples of their work. The vast majority of the publications that Janina shared were not written by us. They are written by people on the ground in their institutions doing this wonderful work. And so if you are ever unsure, turn to all the available resources, get into conversation, call an assessment friend. Um, It's an incredibly open and welcoming community. And our website is one resource of many, but you you are not alone. And there's a lot of great resources and tools out there to to help you and support you. Janina, similarly from you, a final thought. I would definitely add on to what Natasha said and say that we are always willing um, to partner, especially for those who are really trying to push on authentic assessment of student learning and really trying to make meaning 
of what that looks like for students on their in their, in their classroom on their campus. And I think that um, if we stick there, we will. I, I I love to see again not only higher ed but the system as a whole change. Um, as we know that it wasn't necessarily designed for um, students. Some some of the students that are our our campuses are currently serving, but could be. And so I'm hoping that as we continue to push our assessment practice, uh, that the, our campuses become places um, where learning happens and happens in many locations and processes and ways um, and that we can be proud of. Giannina Baker and Natasha Jankowski, two leaders from the National Institute for Learning Outcomes Assessment, NILOA. Thanks so much for your time today with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. I want to conclude by saying I appreciate our wonderful partnership between NILOA and the Assessment Institute and look forward to that continuing to flourish. Thank you so much for all of the opportunities to share the great work that that your group is doing as well. Go to our website. That's right. Go to the website, learningoutcomesassessment.org. This has been Leading Improvements in Higher Education. Our sponsor for this season is Watermark. Learn more at watermarkinsights.com. This podcast is a service of the Assessment Institute in Indianapolis, and you can learn more at our website, assessmentinstitute.iupui.edu, where you can also access other episodes. Our producers are Chad Beckner, Caleb Keith, and Shirley Yorger, with original music composed by Caleb Keith. If you like our podcast, please spread the word and encourage others to give us a listen. We appreciate your support. I'm Stephen Hundley from IUPUI, inviting you to join us again for Leading Improvements in Higher Education.